Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, August 17th, 2020. Today's the third installment in our three-part mini-series on fertility. And the topic for today is gestational carriers, also known as surrogate pregnancy. Pregnancy with the help of a gestational carrier is a fascinating topic on many levels and is becoming more and more prevalent. To present this topic, I wanted to focus on the experience of the people involved rather than the medical side. Truth is, the medical part is relatively straightforward. It is IVF, but instead of transferring the embryo into the genetic mother, it's transferred into the carrier. So today, we're going to focus on the people involved, and to do that, we have two podcasts. In the first podcast, I'm joined by my dear friends, Adina and Simon Brief, who discussed their own experience having their third child, Joey, who was born about one year ago with the help of a gestational carrier. Adina and Simon are amazing people, and I'm so grateful they were willing to share their story. I'm certain you'll find it inspiring. In the second podcast, I speak with Adrian Van Arzel, who was their carrier. Adina and Simon suggested I interview Adrian, and she was also so kind to agree to talk about her experience as a surrogate. She is a unique and giving woman, and her story is also truly inspiring. Since we're on this topic, I also wanted to give a big shout out to Joey Brief on the occasion of his first birthday this upcoming Sunday. Joey, happy birthday. This is an amazing event for you, but also your parents, your family, and your whole community. Along with Cooper and Coco, you make all of us very proud. You've accomplished so much already in 12 months. We expect big things from you. For all of you listening, enjoy the podcast. On Thursday, Stephanie Melka and I talk about exercise and pregnancy. And then next week, we have a real treat for you, Yoga Week. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Okay, we're here with Adina and Simon Brief, who are friends of mine. I'm very fortunate to count you guys amongst my friends. And you guys are the parents of three amazing children, Cooper, Coco, and baby Joey, who are six, four, and almost one. And we're talking today about gestational carriers, or what some people call surrogacy, part of your story and your family. And thank you so much for coming on to talk about this important topic I really appreciate it, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to appreciate it and learn so much from you guys. So thank you for sharing or agreeing to share your story with me and with our listeners. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to share a part of our story. Tell our listeners like a little bit about yourselves, You know, uh, who you are, where you're from, where do you live, how do we know, know each other, so they get sort of a sense of uh, where you are in life right now. Hi, everyone. Hi, ladies. Hello. <laughs> My my name is Simon Brief, and I'm sitting next to my lovely wife, Adina Beth Brief. We are actually about to hit our, our 10-year anniversary in seven days. I'm from, grew up in the Upper West Side of um, New York, spent a lot of time in the Northeast, a little time, uh, little time in Israel. Another great story for another podcast, Adina and I met through my now brother-in-law, who uh, was my roommate in college and good friend. I think he's still my good friend, too. But... <laughs> well, we'll see about that, but yeah. We'll see about that. About five years ago, we moved to Englewood, and that's when we had the other huge change in our life, which is when we met Navy Fox. Uh, <laughs> and 
it's 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 been great since then. We're excited to be on the podcast, so you can hear that in the sound of my voice. Right, and and Adina, of course, I I've known your sister for some time because she's also a maternal fetal medicine specialist, and I think that's that was my first uh, entree to your family, at least. And I've I've met your family, I've known many people in your family, also just through various connections and whatnot. And it was so pretty cool when you guys moved into our neighborhood and we got to know you and your family. It's definitely a small world. Never did I think one day I would be on Nady Fox's podcast, but pretty cool. It, yeah, it was it was it was a long term plan to lure you guys into Englewood and then get you to, you know, have a, a baby with a carrier just so I can get you on a podcast that hadn't been created yet. It's these are very, very deep seated plans that I you know that I that I create. Tell us your story. How did you come to even you know, the, the world of gestational carriers and like what, what, how did that come about for you guys? In September of 2015, we had our baby girl, Coco, and she was a scheduled C-section. And up until that C-section, everything was going very smoothly. Nothing was abnormal, nothing concerning. And then you know, they started the C-section and Coco was out and healthy and safe and beautiful. And then the doctor tried to remove my placenta. And at that time, she was having a lot of trouble. And all of a sudden, I hear this like urgency in her voice. And she said, you know, I need the attending in here now. Every second counts. She's losing a lot of blood. And at that point, the anesthesiologist turns to me and he's like, okay, I'm going to be giving you some extra medicine here. You're going to feel very calm and relaxed. So I was very calm, but my doctor, not so much. Uh, just to be clear, I, I got no calming medicine. At this <laughs> yeah, point. I was going to say, Simon, you're, you're in the room and you're definitely not getting injected anything. So, so this is, you're, you're witnessing this happen and it's obviously very quick and it must have been pretty, pretty intense at that time. And this is also, uh, just to clarify, this is Coco's your second. Yes. The attending rushes in and confirms what my doctor thought she saw, which was a placenta creta. And in my case, it was actually an 80% placenta creta, which means that the placenta was attached to the uterus. Right. And like it's stuck there. Of course, you can explain that a lot better than I can. No, nope, you, 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 you explained it great. You got it. And so the only option at that point was to perform a partial hysterectomy, which was basically a life-saving operation. And she was able to leave my ovaries, but remove my uterus. And at that time, I'll never forget how my dad described this whole situation. He said it was like walking away from a horrific car crash without a single scratch. So like this can obviously go very wrong. They have a placenta accreta center in New York City, just like just for this exact thing. You know, if you lose too much blood, they have extra blood ready for you and everything else. So the fact that this was a total surprise and, you know, my doctor did the most unbelievable job and we ended up with a healthy baby girl and my recovery was actually easier from that delivery than from Cooper's because I had to go into labor and then an emergency C-section with him. Mm -hmm. Right. So you didn't, you, you didn't have labor for, for Coco, you mean? You just had the scheduled C-section. Right, right, right. What, what I would say is that Adina is, you know, I knew she was tough, but she's incredibly tough and resilient. And I was so impressed with her re recovery and just, just her both physical and mental abilities going through this. Yeah, I was going to say when you said that she's 
tough and resilient. There's the physical nature of that because, you know, obviously, Dina, uh, for those who don't know you, you're, you're an athlete, you're in great shape, you exercise all the time. There's the emotions of having a baby, right, just to start off with, which is very, uh, you know, it's a lot. And then on top of that, you're basically being told at the same time, hey, you could have died, but you didn't, right? That's a lot to process. B, you don't have a uterus anymore, which is a lot to process. And C, potentially, you can't have any more children right? Which is sort of what it obviously is not the case. And that's why we're talking today. But that is sort of the thing that goes through your head. Can I no longer have children because of this? What point did it hit you that like, hey, this means no more uterus, no more babies? Like, was that immediate? Or did it take like a while to process that? We kind of overheard what the doctor was saying. It wasn't super clear because you know, that sheet is up between me and the doctor. But Simon was able to like kind of peek over before they did it, before they did the, the partial hysterectomy. He said, stop, wait, what are you guys doing? Because he realized the gravity of the situation. And I'll never forget that. I was just like, thank God he's here because, you know, I have no ability to speak up. I was just like so relaxed and kind of like floating almost. That's actually one of my prouder life moments. I've been in situations in my life where I haven't spoken up and I feel like when it mattered probably the most in my entire life, even though I was the least medically educated person <laughs> in the room, including much less educated than my wife on this matter. Maybe even, the, maybe even the baby. Maybe even the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being inclusive of, of, of one, one, maybe. Well, Coco's, but, she's, she's precocious, so she may have known a lot coming out. Yeah. She did. She's actually, she's very intuitive. So, yes. So I think that was the first moment where Simon realized, holy smokes, this is like, this is real. This is going down. Like, let me just see if I can gather any information before they make this decision. It was, it was like in that moment, it became a mix of emotions very quickly from pure joy about Coco and this baby to just... There was something else, another emotion that was there at the time. Yeah, and it was very, uh, it was, it, it was very prominent and evident. And it's almost as though I didn't want it to be there, but had to be able to be with that because it's hard. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the way that you describe the situation. I mean, I've uh, unfortunately been on on the other end of that situation, and you know, when this happens and sometimes a placenta accreta, like you said, where the placenta stuck to the uterus, sometimes it's expected. We sort of, we think it's going to be that way based on ultrasound, based on history, based on whatever MRI. And we're sort of prepared for that. And everyone walking to the room is prepared for it. But sometimes it's a complete surprise because they don't always look different on ultrasound and, you know, your risk walking into the surgery, it wasn't zero, but it wasn't that high. And so it wasn't, you know, to be expected. And so we've been in that situation. Uh, it's it's very possible that actually they told you what was going to happen, but it just didn't, it just went over your heads because there's so much going on that it didn't process. Because it, it's unusual that we would start a hysterectomy without telling the woman, her partner, who are both there and awake and sitting, you know, three feet from us. So I wonder if it even like was was spoken about and it just totally through all of the, you know, commotion didn't register you didn't hear it and you're like wait what what's going on here these things are so the way people remember them is so it, it may be different i don't even know I, I i assume they told you i think the doctor did say we are now going to do a hysterectomy yeah. and right. that, that is that's the moment that simon said wait why <laughs> we didn't understand the why right yeah that's when so, she left out so one thing and 
I'm going to mention this because it's critical to the story. Adina's doctor actually, you know, she called in the attending. I'm not sure if the attending called in someone else, but the chief, I don't remember this, but basically they called in a very senior person that deals with this Navy. You would know better than I. Right. Better than me. And this person literally said, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. Oh, Took great. Their- <laughs> that's so, <laughs> that's so comforting. <laughs> and I remember being there like, oh, that's like, you know, number one on a top 10 list of things you don't want to hear in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I always, <laughs> oh man. One, one of the things that when, I'm, when we're training residents on C-sections and operations, one of the things I always say before we walk in the room to them is, remember, everybody in this room is awake. <laughs> they are listening. You know, this is this is not the situation where the anesthesiologist puts someone to sleep and you can walk in and you can say whatever you want. No one has any idea which I'm like, everyone's awake. So we're gonna talk in a certain way that does not freak people out. And so <laughs> but sometimes we, you know, it it doesn't always uh, go down that way. But okay, so so listen, thank God they did the right thing. Absolutely positively saved your life. You recovered, and that that sort of realization that you've had a hysterectomy and all those emotions, how long did it take you to sort of think about or consider the possibility of actually having more kids? I imagine at one point it was like, all right, we're not having more kids. And then like at some point it's like, well, maybe we can. Was that like within a day, a month, a year? Like how long did it take to sort of start that thought process even? On day two of recovering in the hospital, Mm -hmm. one of the doctors in the practice was making rounds and she stops by to check in on me. And she was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. You're so young. I was 28 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there holding baby Coco, who is like the most perfect baby in the whole world. And she looks at me and she says, You know, there's a lot of ways and there are a lot of options if you want more babies. And I remember that moment because all I wanted to do was just like, I didn't even want to address the hysterectomy for whatever reason. I just wanted to sit there. Celebrate Coco. I'm going to cry. And yep. I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Oh, um, you deserve it. Yeah. This is, this is the place. Embrace Coco and, and celebrate her and enjoy that, that moment, right? Because being in the hospital is hard enough. There's lots of emotions. But then I'm now here mourning this loss that I didn't know was coming and I was definitely not prepared for. So it was a big pill for me to swallow not being able to carry any more babies. I'm one of five, as you know, and I've always dreamed of a big family. I love kids. Obviously, I'm at that moment, I'm beyond thankful for Cooper, my older son, and especially grateful for Coco. But I knew deep down, even that moment, like two days later, that I just had more love to give. And I knew whatever it was, I was going to start looking into these options. So the first day that we actually looked into the gestational carrier option was three months when, when uh, Coco was three months old. Mm. We walk into the first um, fertility as- assisted facility and started the conversations. I, I will say there was a point in between those points where um, uh, at least I, I don't know whether you, I know I had a conversation with your dad who was a who, who passed away. Uh, a little over three years ago now, but who was a, a major figure, figure and influence in, in both of our lives, who's a doctor and a rabbi. And he uh, he basically said, like, halakhically, 
it's all like you can do this and really i would say encourage us looking looking at this option as well so medically from, me- medically yeah. and logically yeah is yeah so he really he, he, i felt a strong sense of encouragement from him on that front and that was very meaningful to me and to him. yeah i think that it's you know you're talking about such a profound set of emotions that you have to go through after a delivery like that. Like you said, you have, on the one hand, tremendous gratitude. I mean, you have a you have a beautiful son. You now have a beautiful baby girl. You're you're alive and well. Like your life is like it's top of the world. Everything's amazing. And on the flip side, you've just had this, you know, major operation that's going to potentially change the rest of your life and your ability to have more children, which is, you know, a huge thing to to sort of grapple with. And, you know, and then on top, then you start to feel guilty and all these things that, you know, when you have that conflict of like gratitude and grief at the exact same time, you know, causes a lot of havoc. And I think that, you know, people come to gestational carrier decision from many different roads. Uh, And I think one of them is the road that you came through where like, it is just not physically possible to carry a pregnancy because your uterus is removed. Like you're healthy, your ovaries are healthy, you know, like otherwise you'd be having lots of babies. Other people come to it because they never had children and they have medical problems and they, they, they're not well enough to carry a baby potentially, or they've had various bad complications in pregnancy and they're just not, it's just not safe for them. Or it's, it's thought that the baby won't be able to stay. And that's sort of a different situation. Those people typically don't have kids already. And it's sort of a different decision-making process that comes into play. But I think that, like you said, with with the support of, you know, your father, Dina, and, you know, other family, friends, and when you sort of are able to come to that decision and saying, well, I'm perfectly fine. This is like just a, like sort of an odd situation I got put in, but otherwise I'm perfectly okay. And there's a, there's a workaround. It, it may be, I don't know. I don't know if it makes it easier to come to that decision or not. I'm not sure. What do you think? So it definitely was not an easy decision. I think I said that on way too. Uh, it was just a very cursory uh, response. But um, <laughs> easier, I, I not easy. I don't think anyone comes to this decision easily. No, I definitely struggled for a long time, and for months and months and months, it was really all I could think about, all I could talk to Simon about. Sorry, Simon. It was a lot, and I we weren't telling a lot of people at first. Yeah. That- add one quick thing in there. Sure. I think the point you made, Nadia, about the blessing, the gratitude and the grief, what was really tricky about that time, you know, announcing Coco's birth and around it was that this idea that we weren't really sharing the grief aspect of it. So to me, I, I mean, with immediate family and other, a couple of people that were close with us, we were, I didn't feel like it was mine to share. And I don't think you really you know, I'm, I'm being honest. You yeah, no. think, think you felt like you wanted to make I, it so public, right. which I understand. Um, right. And I think that there was something complicated in that. And I think that, that that idea of public and private about this type of matter threads through many of the other decisions we had to make and also threads through some of the guilt or shame that kind of came with that experience, as well as kind of the going back and forth kind of tied in and threaded through that. Right. What were your concerns going into it, Aditi? So you had a lot of concerns. You grappled with it. What What was it specifically that you were worried about? Oh my gosh, a lot of it was, you know, 
we like I said, we have this Cooper, we have Cooper, we have Coco, we have a boy, we have a girl, they're healthy. Are we going to go through all this? And then, God forbid, the baby not be healthy, or God forbid, our carrier not be healthy. I was concerned about, you know, what would the relationship look like with this person? How are we going to even find a person who's willing to carry a baby for us? Like, that was just mind blowing to me that someone would choose to do that. And it it's still is mind blowing to me. It's absolutely remarkable. And there were just so many concerns, you know, like, what, how are the kids going to respond to this? Are they, we're going to have to travel a lot and leave them and visit the carrier for different medical appointments and a bunch of moving pieces that were, were scary. And then can, can I add yeah. something in? I mean, and I mean this in a positive way, uh, just or maybe even just neutral, which is that we're two white Jewish cis, you know, straight cis people in America that have a lot, have had a lot of good fortune. And this was a flick of God's wrist and the universe's wrist that took us in a totally different direction that we hadn't even considered before. And it was like all of a sudden we were in an unknown place that was contrary to expectations of having more children. And, you know, in light of what everything that you said, it was like, damn, we're like opened our eyes after this experience and now we're here. And that was, that was different. I think that there's in, inside of what you also said, I think for us, there was a lot of like social stigma. It's like, this isn't the way that it's done. And, and it's also, you know, like I'm speaking for you now based on what I remember, but I think for you, it's like, oh, like I won't have the feeling of the baby being in my belly and I won't have the feeling of these things that felt like they were the milestone towards being a mother into that, fulfilling that desire and experience and role. And I think that that was really strenuous and difficult. Definitely. Like you said, Nadie, people get to learn about gestational carriers for a lot of different reasons. And I'm guessing the majority of them have not had babies before. So we were in a unique situation where I carried two babies. I enjoyed being pregnant. I had amazing pregnancies and, you know, nursed my kids. Everything that comes along with being pregnant, I loved and was so grateful for. So this was going to be a very different route to having a baby. And, and all the unknowns were were, were concerning. Right. And I, I want to I wanna touch a little bit on what you guys are saying, because the the first set of sort of concerns you had sounded, uh, I would like categorize them as like logistical, like, how do we do this? Like, who do we find? Is this a possibility? We've got kids at home, you know, sort of like, because it's an unknown, you have no idea, like how this is going to actually happen. And then Simon, where you were talking about is sort of this, like, internal conflict between we're doing it this way, but we've always done it this way. And it's sort of different. And is it going to, am I going to feel different? Because I'm not, you know, pregnant like all these things but i'm I'm curious did you have concerns like about external type of stigma like that people would think of you differently or think this was you know i don't know what people think about you know what, what they're worried about but did you have any concerns about what like your friends your family or the outside world would think of you two going through this process absolutely absolutely i mean right now when you mention it it just seems so normalized to me so i'm like why would anyone stigma around this but right. yeah before coming in, um, I was terrified. I thought, you know, would I lo like lose friends over this? How would, oh, I, I didn't know, like, how, how would the rabbi feel about this? How right. would our 
um, people in the shul, I can't just show up to shul one day with a baby not being pregnant. And what are they going to think if I, you know, had this carrier? For sure. I, I, I definitely thought a lot about how the community and friends and family w- would take it. As soon as I started to tell people, almost everyone said, oh my gosh, I went through something similar, or I know someone going through that, or I struggled with infertility and went to the same clinic you did. And one by one, everyone started opening up and it was just this like huge relief. And I I felt like I had this dark, like dirty, bad secret that I wasn't sharing. And then as soon as I started to share it, this this fear and this stigma that I thought was going to be a huge problem ended up being um, an absolute inspiration. inspiration. Yeah, right. It was, it was Simon, incredible. did you have the same concerns going in? For me, it was a little. It was a little different. And I would go back to Dina after this to have her say, like, what was her turning point if she feels comfortable saying that? Because for me, I don't really think I had that so much that stigma about this. For two reasons. One, I'm not the, yeah. I wasn't the woman in the situation. Right. So I didn't, it, it wasn't like, I didn't, I felt the loss through what Adina was experiencing through listening to her and talking with her. But it, it's just different from where I stood. Sure. And our circumstances. And the other is, I think in the, like there, I'm, on some matters, I definitely care about what people think a lot. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not released from that or beyond that, liberated from that. But I will say, in a matter like this, I genuinely didn't care. Right. Um, I hear you. I, I didn't. I really didn't care about this because this was a matter for me right. that was like so core and important that if we were going to do it, I didn't care at all, all about what other people thought. The harder thing was, and this was the kind of turning point for me on this, and then I'll check to you, Adina. The harder part was kind of yes or no, right? Just saying, are we going to go for this or not? And how do we, not how do we do it logistically, but how do we mentally prepare for it? So the turning point for me was, I'll keep it really brief. We uh, had a offsite at my job and part of it included like writing up a plan for where you are in a year. And in that moment, like, and you wrote that little thing from where you were in a year from where you are now like a year out looking back and part of what i wrote is like i i wrote that we pursued this process and for me it was like a a switch kind of flipped in my head when i put that on paper because we had just been going back and forth on this matter a lot and i wrote that and then i don't think that fully took you all all the way there neil but as soon as i like became firm on it. And Adina has been the one that's pushed forward every decision in our relationship to uh, get engaged, get married, have kid one, move to the suburbs, have kid two. But on this one, I think I was like the one that planted the flag. Yes. So thank you to the Google offsite for the inspiration. But so I started seeing a therapist after the hysterectomy, the first time in my entire life that I saw a therapist. And it was very, very helpful. And through, you know, all our discussions, she said one thing to me that stuck with me and helped me move forward in this decision. And she said, you know, Adina, you're trying to make pros and cons. You're trying to make all these lists and and really, really think this through. But you're 
what you're trying to do is rationalize having a baby and babies are irrational to begin with. Yeah. So yeah. Trying to rationalize having a baby just is not going to work. If you want a baby, you don't need to have a reason why you want a baby. Yeah. You know, that's you so just, wise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, I tell people in any circumstance, having kids is gruesome. I mean, it's yeah. like you got to be pregnant, you got to deliver them, you got to raise them. I mean, they ask you for money. It's like, it's unbelievable. But, but that's not, you know, we don't, we, yeah, we don't, we don't make a spreadsheet to figure out why we want to have kids. Like it's innate, it's, it's internal. And, and yeah, and I, I do want to, I do want to disagree with you, Simon, uh, when you say that you care what people think. I've seen the color pants you wear in public. I don't know if you really care what people think um, about other things, but it's, you know, and it's, it's also, it's so interesting. The things you're talking about, people used to say the same thing about doing IVF, right? You know, 25 years ago, there was a stigma. They thought no one did it or they thought people would, you know, shame them. And then having an egg donor or adoption and all these sort of advances we'd had either logistically or medically and the ability for people to, you know, have children and raise families have just become more common. I think also, you know, nowadays, uh, one of the other routes that people get to gestational carriers is uh, if two men are having a baby together, they frequently go through a gestational carrier and that's more common. And that's obviously over the years, you know, become more, you know, mainstream and acceptable. And so, and it's part of culture. And so people are talking about this more. And did you, and, and so when you said you were, you know, maybe surprised or you were pleased to see how many people were supportive and encouraging and knew about this. Did you get other messaging? Like, you know, when you went on either social media or online or in magazines that was positive, negative, neutral, or it was just sort of quiet? I'd say overall, every response was super positive to neutral. Like mm -hmm. if they were neutral, it's only because I think they were genuinely confused right. how this possible. So if you don't know anything about the medical side of this and the science behind it, which we knew nothing about up until this point, it's confusing. It doesn't seem possible that you could do this. So once I explain how it works, then they were like, wow, that's incredible and just super supportive. Right. And who did you, so you said you, you know, you spoke to your close, you know, your family, your close friends. Was there anyone else who was involved in your decision-making process to go through this? I mean, you involve your, your, I guess your doctor or your therapist, obviously, was there anyone else that you brought into the loop on this? Yeah. I, so there's one girl that I met at a wedding. Oh, yeah. She's tall, thin, and blonde, super thin and very tall. And I met her randomly at a wedding and she said to me, I'm having a baby in two weeks. And this is when I was pregnant with Coco. So mm -hmm. I was like eight months pregnant. You're like, no, you're and not. She, <laughs> <laughs> And so I looked at her and my mouth dropped to the floor and I felt so embarrassed that I had that reaction, but I was so confused. So we started talking and she told me she had some health issues and she was going to have the help of a gestational carrier. And we remained friends and we, she lived in Florida. So I would see her when we went to Florida and we, we remained pretty good friends. And she had a healthy baby boy using the help of a gestational carrier. And as soon as I had my hysterectomy, she was the first person I reached out to in the hospital and she helped me through this whole process. And then we also reached out to our rabbi. Talk about divine intervention also on that, but like right before <laughs> yeah. that. Right before Coco. And, and yeah. there was no assigned seating at this wedding either. Yeah. There was like open seating. We just sat next to this couple. Wow. Yeah. Totally wow. Cool. That is, that um, is, that is pretty spooky. 
Yeah. So she was a super, super helpful friend to have through this whole thing. And then, you know, early on in the process, we reached out to our rabbi to see, is this kosher? You know, what do we have to do? Because our carrier, our potential carrier is not Jewish. And, you know, are there any special accommodations we have to make? And one of the things he said, which surprised me and was actually very helpful, was he brought up the idea of, believe it or not, posting it on Facebook. This At is some a point, further yeah, this is a little I, when, when things get, you know, when things are, are close, you right. know, when things are, are working out well, God willing. So at first he gave us his blessing. He said, yes, it's kosher. You can definitely do this. And here are some things I would suggest, but um, he was very supportive. And then he just mentioned the idea of posting on Facebook. And I wasn't even like thinking that way because there were so many things we had to overcome. But he said, I think it might be a good thing for you to consider because one, it lets a lot of people know what's going on. And then two, you're just, you know, spreading awareness. And if there's anyone else that's struggling with infertility or any other issues, it might be helpful for them to know your story. So we, um, we ended up doing that too. Which... I remember that. I, rem- I remember the Facebook post because most people didn't know this was going on. And then you said, you know, hey, we're expecting a baby in whatever X amount of weeks. And everyone's sort of right. first like, oh, I didn't, I don't, and there's sort of the same reaction you had at the wedding, like, wait a second, I don't, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then sort of you're like, oh, oh, and everyone's like, wow. And then <laughs> I remember everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. Like, and some people had known you had a hysterectomy, some people didn't know. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the response, at least I know communally, everyone was so excited for you guys. I mean, it was awesome. People were just so happy that you were able to do this. And I think that that's, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's it, thinking back on it, it, you're almost like, I can't believe anyone wouldn't be. But at, when you're going through it at the time, you don't know what to expect. In, in terms of logistics, I mean, you're talking about like, you know, just from the medical side, it actually is one of the more straightforward fertility things out there from a medical perspective. It's basically IVF, you know, your ovaries get stimulated, your eggs come out, you know, it's Simon sperm, like it's your embryo genetically. And the only difference is instead of having it after it's fertilized, the IV in vitro fertilization, instead of putting the embryo back in you, it goes into the carrier. So it, it's really very straightforward medically, but logistically, it's obviously, it's, it's quite a scene. So how, how do you, I just want to talk just the logistics of it. Like, how do you start this process? Who do you go to? How do you choose a carrier? Who pays for this? Like, you know, there's legal, there's so much that just for people who are thinking about this or, or aren't thinking about this, but just are curious, what, what are the logistics? So for us, step one was going to RMA, which is Reproductive Medical Associates in New Jersey. And so they're, they're like IVF doctors, basically. Yeah, they're IVF doctors, but they also have a huge center for gestational carriers and they I think one of the biggest, actually. So the first step was a consultation. And it's all that stuff you just mentioned in a humongous packet. And they just kind of plop it in front of you and go through it for hours. Read this. Yeah. It's like tax law. It's read these 12,000 pages. I'm like, what were we thinking? How is this going to work? So they start off by saying, look, do the IVF retrieve your eggs and see if you have viable embryos. Cause if you don't, there's no point in moving forward. Right. We did that part and that was successful. Then. Which they RMA expected. Did, I assume they, they, they fully expected that because you're, you're young and healthy. This was, again, you were, you weren't doing this cause you were sick. You were doing this because you know, you, you just logistically, you didn't have a, a uterus at that time. So, okay. So you do the IVF, you have embryos. 
that's step one. Next, they gave us a list of agencies. Oh, we had to meet with a social worker. And that was part of the protocol. You can't move forward until you have this meeting with their therapists on staff. So to, we did to that. Make, to, to what? To clear you guys as parents or to make sure that you know what you're getting into? To, to, to kind of just see, to understand the process more because they don't want people jumping into this if they aren't really aware of what it's going to take to do it. And I found it very helpful. I yeah. think she was an amazing amazing person and therapist. So in that meeting, she gave us a list of agencies that hire gestational carriers. And we told her what we, you know, would ideally like out of a carrier. And so she she circled one agency and said, this is kind of like the gold standard. You know, they are based out of New York. They're typically very, very selective about who they accept. They're usually well-educated and they're, you know, they're in it for the right reasons, which is interesting how they even accept carriers. That's could be a whole nother podcast. You know, they do compensate their carriers more than some of the other agencies, but that's how they get the most qualified, if you will. When you said you, you had a list of things you wanted, what were those things and how did you even come to that? I'm just curious. Like, did you say, sure. I, want, I want her to be tall? Like, what was it? What are we talking I about? I think, you know, if if she had a higher education, that would be amazing. I didn't expect that, but that was you know one thing that would be in a stable relationship, had a, a solid income that they could rely on. These are the things that I think that like Stanford like reduced our wishes to that that his agency, who is the Stanford, is the the one who runs the uh, the agency that we're referring to. I think we basically the, the idea you conveyed was that. We wanted to have certainty that this person was that was going to carry this baby was going to be a quality person. Someone that we could trust. Yeah. Basically, I don't want to be the person. And there are some people who go through this process and they say, this is what you can eat. This is what you can wear. This is how your activities. For me, I just wanted this person to be someone that was, you know, stable and in it for the right reasons and someone that was genuinely a person we could trust to, right. to do this. So, right. Okay. So, 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 so they sent you to this agency and, yes. and do you, do you, do you actually choose, like, do they give you like, like a list of people and you choose them or do they present someone to you and you say yes or no? Right. So they ask all the intended parents to create a profile and all the carriers create a profile and then it's a match system. So Stanford, who's, who runs this agency, he personally selects, the, he, we met with him in New York City, and after meeting him, and he read our profile, and he looked over, you know, the, his database. He would make a selection. If you don't like your the first pick, you could say no thanks and move on to the next. The first profile we received was that of our carrier, and immediately I was just blown away. I was like, wow, she seems awesome. You know, it's a picture of her and her husband and her two kids. They're from Ohio, Cincinnati. She's a special ed teacher with a master's and he has, you know, a great job and they just seem like they have an amazing life. And it was just like the perfect person. And so we, we gave the green light on that. And then the carrier also has to give the green light that they want to be a carrier for us. So they have a right to say no. That went well. We both approved each other's profiles. And the next step was a phone call with 
the carrier and that went well. And then the next step just was the, just the three, just the three of you, the two of you and the carrier or the and I think her husband was on, yeah, her husband uh-huh. was also on the call. Uh-huh. And um What you was know, that what was, was that like? I mean, making that phone call or getting that phone call must have been pretty right. nerve wracking. So, I I was nervous. Simon was not, as usual. He's cracking <laughs> jokes and keeping it light. Okay. Um but really we just like had a normal conversation, like you would be calling a friend that you haven't spoken to in a while and catching up. Well, I think at first it, my memory of the first conversation is like that, that's what it evolved to for sure. My memory of the first conversation was just it was a little bit more stilted on both ends, not not in a bad way. It's just it was good. It was good. It was as good as you would expect two couples of strangers meeting in this situation to right. be. Right, right. It's definitely not how you normally run into people. No, and the meeting, the first meeting was not something I, I could ever prepare for. No, it was just something that, you know, there's no nothing like that that you could say, oh, it might be similar to this or, oh, I have this experience under my belt that will help me. It was just such a unique set of circumstances, obviously. But again, that first meeting, which Sanford, the head of this agency, was there to moderate the meeting, which was helpful. And Simon, of course, cracking his jokes and keeping it light. but. It was such an awesome meeting. It, it went very, very well. We were shocked. And then there's also, there's a lot of legal issues that come into play. And I think, you know, in terms of what states this happens in, right? I mean, how much did you know about that going into it? Nothing. So we tried to, we thought we could do it, get someone local in New Jersey or New York. Nope, it's illegal. You can't pay someone to carry a baby for you in those states. So you have to find a state where it's not only legal, but it's favorable for the intended parent, which means in some states, it's legal to do this, but the carrier's name will be on the birth certificate, and which makes it complicated, right? right? So you have to find a state that it's not only legal in, but the intended parent, which is us, would be on the birth certificate. Right. And Ohio is one of those states. Right. I mean, it's it's such a, I mean, I'm, I'm not a legal expert, obviously, but it's such a, but I know about these things. And it's such a fascinating concept because you're talking about, you know, on the one hand, everyone knows that genetically the parents are these people. And everyone knows that in terms of who delivers the baby, who's the birth mother, so to speak, is this person. And the question is, so which one has precedent? Like who takes priority? And you know, uh, traditionally they were always the same people, right? So there wasn't, there was, it never really came up. And so when this started evolving, that this was a possibility, and is it, you know, so some states say we'll consider it like an adoption, but the problem with that is, you know, you don't want to go through this whole situation and then have the carrier deliver the baby and say, nah, I'm, I'm taking the baby home. And in those states, you're there's nothing you can do. Like that's how it is. And so, and it's so fascinating thinking about which one of those two sides is quote unquote the liberal side and which is a quote unquote conservative side because you know you would think that favoring the genetic parents might be the liberal side and someone would say well maybe a birth mother could be taken advantage of him and so it's that's why it's all over the place it's almost random which state it's not like red state blue state and if it is it's the opposite yeah <laughs> like it's almost flip of what you would think it would be uh, it's almost random which states you can do this in. and so a lot of people have carriers they're like, yeah, my carrier's in Kansas, my carrier's in Wisconsin, my carrier's in Ohio. It's just whatever state sort of is agreed that they're going to do it one way versus the other states. Yep, exactly. And there's also the other legal part of it is obviously all the contracts that yeah. 
you have to work on and have some pretty tough conversations ahead of time because, you know, you have to agree on certain things. Like one conversation specifically is like, if God forbid there was something really, really, really wrong and normal, at what point, you know, would our carrier be okay with an abortion? Because And is right. she okay with an right. abortion? Who like, decides? And actually, she would decide. It's it's medically, it's like her body. So she, regardless of whatever contract, she has to agree. But the contract just helps protect us in those situations. And it's just, it, it, it can get messy. Luckily, we were on the same page about everything. And the contracts went pretty smoothly. Not easy. Legal legal things were, were tough and, and costly, which is the whole thing is very costly. The big financial part of it. Thank goodness Simon worked for Google or works for Google. So they surprisingly cover a big chunk of it, which was huge, huge, right. huge. Right. Because you're talking so, about, you know, there's pregnancy, having a baby, then there's the IVF, right? There's yep. the carrier. There's obviously, yep. which comes along with an agency and, you know, all that. And, and it's, it's, you know, listen, for someone to be a carrier, they're going to have to be paid a good amount of money. Like this is not, you know, it's not usually just, just out of the goodness of their heart. It is, but it's like, it's, it's a big deal and all the lawyer fees. I mean, cause you're talking, it's a massive legal undertaking as well. And it's, the cost is extraordinary. Are you comfortable sharing like approximately what it costs for a couple to go through this? If they just forget about coverage, if they just had to go nuts to bolts, pay for it? Probably around a hundred to hundred twenty grand. It's wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Maybe more, maybe more, depending on you know, like our it, IVF costs different amounts in different. So there's there's some wiggle room on that. But it's interesting that you say you know if you get a carrier who does it without being paid, because one thing this agency would not accept is carriers who say, you know, I want to do this out of the kindness of my own heart. I don't accept any money. They won't accept that person because they want them to treat it like a job yeah. and they have to show up. They can't say, oh, you know what? Halfway through, I'm kind of over it, you know, but they yeah. have to be accountable. Yeah. And then on the flip side, if someone shows up and says, you know, can I get 5,000 more or, you know, tries to negotiate that fee, they, their compensation, they also say no because they don't want people who are in it just for the money. It has to be the the right balance. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the only the only people I think who who it sort of maybe works out for in that situation is if it's like my sister is going to carry the baby, you know, something like that, where it's just such a a unique situation. But if you're if you're talking about with strangers, that makes a lot of sense. So the decision is made. You go through all the paperwork. Does does the carrier come to New Jersey for the transfer, or do the embryos go to Ohio? So before she even comes for the transfer, she had to come to RMA in New Jersey for yeah. a full day of screening because yeah. RMA now has to approve her. Right, so she had to right, be right. and medically screened. Then after that, she starts her IVF and the transfer happens back at RMA. She comes back when that's ready. And that was a very surreal experience. And then... Um, are you there? Are you Are you there in the room? Are you in the building? How does that work? Yep. We were in the room with her and her husband. I'll never forget how they wheel in the embryo. And then it's like on a camera and they take this like syringe and they suck up the embryo and show you exactly where they're putting it. And the whole time I'm just, it's an out of body experience because I just can't believe this is how we're about to get pregnant. Right. I'm squeezing Simon's hand so hard and I'm crying my face off and right 
um, our carrier's husband is just like looking at me just like in shock because I'm in shock and emotional. And I think it was just a very surreal experience. I was, I was just like science. <laughs> like this is not how it <laughs> happened last time. <laughs> None of these people were in the room with us. <laughs> you don't know that, maybe. You don't know. It's a good point. Heard. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I'm, uh, that's an assumption. Were those people in the room with you? <laughs> wow. Wow. And so was is that, the, in terms of, you know, for that, and I was going to ask you also for like prenatal visits and this, is the decision regarding you guys being like in the room at the visits for the procedures, is that up to the carrier? Is it up to the contract? Is it different in every situation? Like how was, how are those, like, what if the carrier said, you know, I just don't want them in the room when I'm having the transfer. Is that like, is that even an option? Who makes those decisions? That was actually something we discussed, I think in one of our meetings with Stanford and that came up, you know, just what was going to be her comfort level, my comfort level. And also what legally we could do because we had to sign some documents like HIPAA related stuff that right you know because it's her right, it's her it's her health it's her body it's her health it had nothing to do with me like right. zero according to HIPAA right which is so crazy this right. is a very th these were very early stage conversations with um the carrier and her family her husband right and you know we covered off on doctor visits and her willingness to just be open about that, which it probably isn't always the case, but our character is amazing. Right. Um, and then the bigger question was really whether we'd be in the room for the delivery itself, which was its kind of own specific case amongst this broader situation. Right. I mean, because I was saying that, like, you know, the, the relationship you have with the carrier is obviously going to be different in every circumstance. And I would think that the stronger the relationship, like you said, in terms of trust, uh, in terms of respect, in terms of, you know, potentially love, I mean, that those are going to make these decisions different. And that is something that some of it's a leap of faith and some of it's doing research and some of it's meeting people in advance. What was your relationship like with the carrier throughout the, the course of the pregnancy? So one quick story for you. When we first met our carrier in Ohio for that initial meeting, one of the very first questions, she's not Jewish. One of the very first questions she asked us was. After we told our story. Okay, yeah, fine. Yes, we told sure. our story. Yeah. So we introduced ourselves. We told our story. And one of the first questions she asked was, do you want me to eat kosher food during the pregnancy? And wow. I just thought that was so telling of what kind of person this is in that moment she was already thinking like what can i do to make sure this process is as comfortable for them meanwhile i'm thinking the entire time what can i do to make this most comfortable for her and i think that's just so indicative of the relationship we had the entire time there was this tremendous level of respect and trust and admiration and love and just like for one another that it, it blossomed into something so unique and and special that I really did not imagine going into it. Is that something that, uh, in your understanding, is typical, or is that quite atypical for other people going through this? So I only know like one or two other close accounts of people who did this. I think they had different relationships with their career. I'm a much more open person, so like. I, you know, whoever 
close with. I'm just like very close with them. And obviously in this situation, I just wanted to feel like I feel indebted and just like so close with this person that I would be willing to do anything for them. Uh, I'll add a little color. Uh, the color I would add is just one Sanford from the agency we used and a uh, FG. He, uh, he was pretty open about the fact that he thought we had a great relationship that was pretty unique with our carrier and her husband. I kind of felt like I didn't say this, but I was like, hey, it's been so easy working with both sides of this. Like, do you think we could get a small discount for this? Because like, <laughs> it's probably made things a lot easier for you, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, I didn't, true. Uh, he didn't have to, he didn't have to jump in and no, do any mediation between us. No, or, we like, we it was like, very easy. We went out to, to lunch and get with them every time we got together. We were going to be in the same area. So we like we're getting together, you know, outside of just the medical procedure or medical reasons, which was really nice. And we always had like a long, long lunch or a long dinner, great conversation that was fun. Um, wow! So I'm, that was yeah, it's amazing. That was pretty different. Yeah, I mean, they sound you know your carrier and her husband sound like like you said really amazing people. And many of our listeners don't know you guys, but you're also you're both so warm and affectionate and you have big smiles on your faces and you're very comfortable to be around. And so I think that obviously it's, it goes both ways. I'm sure they sensed right away in you two, how much love you have to give and how much love you give, you know, the two children you had at the time and what kind of parents you are and we're going to be to this baby. And I'm sure they were drawn to you in the same way that you were drawn to them. It's just a, it's a great match. It sounds like, uh, I mean, ideal in this situation to have a carrier that you, you know, that you really like it's unbelievable and and vice versa i mean everyone it just makes the whole process so much you know more uplifting that this is happening this way we definitely left out for sure i think this is one of your biggest concerns uh, if i remember correctly adina you're you know you were like what kind of relationship could we have with this person and i remember saying to you like this has the potential to be an amazing relationship yeah. that we couldn't even imagine being possible. Yeah. And I think it was very hard. I think yeah. it was hard because you saw yourself in that role. So having someone else play that role for you felt like a big stretch, but it was, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. It was. I mean, it, it can, it can, listen, it can go wrong. I've, I've unfortunately been in the middle of a, of a situation with a, you know, a patient and the carrier where the relationship was horrible and it was, you know, combative and lawyers had to get involved, get involved. It was just awful. And, you know, there's so many ways this can go wrong. People are going to have disagreements. They don't, you know, they, they don't, they're not on the same page if there's a complication or, you know, maybe someone either is or feels like they're taking advantage of the carrier. I mean, or, or vice versa with money. I mean, there's so many ways this can go south, uh, this type of relationship, because it's not, a typical relationship. There aren't rules for this. There isn't, you know, precedent. And it's just, this is all new. And the world is figuring this all out. And I think you guys, I don't want to say you lucked out because it wasn't just luck. It's who you are and, and what kind of people you are and what kind of preparation you did and how you entered this. But I think it was uh, a very fortunate way to go uh, to go through this and with, with your carrier. And so what 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 ultimately happened with the delivery? How did that, you said that was going to be a, a question mark? On August 23rd of 2019, they, she had a scheduled C-section and it was in Cincinnati, Ohio. All her 
OB appointments were there. So we went a couple of days early and, you know, just in case she was going to go into labor naturally and she didn't, she made it to the scheduled C-section. And so typically in surgery, they only allow one person into the room. And I wasn't going to bring it up. I felt like it should be her husband. You know, I, there's no reason why I need to be in the room. I'd rather her be comfortable and have her husband by her side than me necessarily being in there. Although I, I was happy to be in the room if that was an option, but I wasn't going to push for it. And so her husband, day of the operation, said to three or four different nurses and, and staff there at the hospital, is it possible, can we please get all four of us in the room, you know, our carrier, right. him, son, and then two of us. And they kept saying, well, let me check, let me check, let me see if that's an option. Had that hospital then, done deliveries for carriers before? Is that something that the hospital is used to? Yeah. 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 Okay. They were uh, still a little bit. There were a couple. They had, they had done a couple. They had done okay. a couple. So, it was, yeah. So not, not, not like a, a routine event there, but it wasn't their not first. Routine, yes. I was not the first. The nurses that like didn't know exactly the protocol. Right. The right. Right. Um, so then eventually the, I think the anesthesiologist might've made the call and he said, yes, that, that will be fine. They set up chairs for us. Oh, that's so nice. It was a humongous room. I mean, six times the size of the room that you had. Your, well, uh, you know, it's not New York city. We, we got to say the real estate, man. <laughs> it was really it was really crazy. Did, did, so did, did you guys have the- any, and I'm just curious, but I'm, I'm interrupting you, but I want you to finish. But just in that moment, did you have any concerns about, or when it actually happened that you walked in that room, either of you, any like PTSD from walking into an operation, like a C-section again, based on what happened the last time I mean, when you were the patient? Or did that sort of like, it was not even on your radar because you were so focused on what was going on with your baby? I think I was had just such a positive mindset. Everything had gone so well up until this point every single box was checked off at every single stage right and we never thank god had to do anything twice and it was just like moving on from one thing to the next so oh my gosh we had met the carrier's doctor multiple times because of all the visits and i just felt like this is I, i just i had to believe it was going to go well and yes was i nervous and shaking because you know when you are have the medicine from a C-section, you can get very jittery and cold. So I got all those feelings back, even though I wasn't getting the medicine. So I'm shaking and I'm jittery and, and Simon, yeah, I and Simon started to daven and I just felt like you were, you were saying a couple on the, on the way into the, into the room. And I just felt like this is meant to be like, this is going to work and it's meant to be. And I was, just kept it positive. And then also her husband was like smiling and feeling good. Everyone was feeling good. And so I just wanted to keep that positive attitude because it's out of your control, right? At this point. And just hope for the best. Wow. Okay. So go on. So you go into the room and they start and tell me how that went. So I remember us being on like, it was, it was surreal because we were on these two folding chairs, maybe like 10 feet back from the situation and uh, from the operation. And we can see on both sides of the curtain and we could see the carrier and her husband, her face and her husband and her husband comforting her. And then we could also see all the work that the doctors were doing. You know, we could hear everything that they were saying and doing. And, and, and I had my camera out and I was really recording the whole thing. And 
I just remember when they when they pulled him out, and it it, it was like I'll I'll be honest because I remember the most the thing that I remember most aside from just like my wife being so excited and holding my hand and so happy was I remember this sense before right before that of like like I, I don't know I was like how am I going to grasp the moment like what is the, like the the nowness of this and, and the gravity of the situation I was like is this hitting me enough and I, I felt the nerves but as soon as they pulled the baby out and then we heard him breathe and make some sound it like hit me in a positive way so hard I was like it was like the end of a marathon that I, I've never run a marathon Dina has so she can actually confirm that but spiritually and emotionally, it was the end of that part, that leg. Really, it's a multi-year, multi-leg marathon because it's obviously the beginning of this kid's life. But it really just felt like what a redemptive story to be back in that room and be at a C-section and have it be at the finish line. It was, it was quite breathtaking. And we have video of it, which shows us and the carrier and the baby and doctors. And it was... It was it was joyous. It's a, it's amazing. It's just unbelievable. And you know, how long did it take for you to then travel home? We also then like moved to feeling some concern for the carrier and her recovery. And what was really cool before we actually went home is that we actually spent a decent amount of time with the carrier. And and I, I remember you feeling so, a little conflicted about whether how much to show the baby to right. the carrier. So this is interesting. So we had a conversation with. Sanford, who sort of acted a little bit as our lawyer, he, even though he was neutral, he he gave some legal advice. Not he gave some advice. This it is not legal. legal he just gave advice. One of the things he said was how to prepare for that time in the hospital. Obviously, you know, when baby comes out, I wanted to do skin to skin immediately as soon as baby was ready to um, for me to hold. Him. And then some things he addressed was. You know, Know, how much time to allow the carrier to hold the baby and just very unique set of things to think about. Yeah. I guess in some cases, you know, the carrier is has a lot of hormones and a lot of feelings and a, there's a lot that just happened and they might feel like, you know, a change of heart. You, you don't know. You don't know. Worst case scenario. So the idea that like you would never leave the baby alone with the carrier, but definitely offer to allow the carrier to hold the baby, just a bunch of things. Thankfully, everything worked out beautifully. I mean, it was it was super natural and there was never really an, a reason to be concerned, but it was just a very interesting thing to think yeah. about. A lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. Well, yeah. well, there was this last last thing on this because it was so unique. What made it so unique, it was like almost for this really intimate and powerful big milestone like our families came together for a little bit. Like, and this was like, she had her kids there and we hadn't met them before. And she had her, uh, her husband's parents were there. Her in-laws were there. And it was like, we were kind of all hanging out together. And it was just like, we came from such different backgrounds, but got along so well. It just felt like such a, I have no English word for this. I, well, it just felt like a bracha. Like it yeah. just felt like a blessing. that it was like this amazing coming together and it was just felt so cool. It was right. so cool. And they got Anyways. to see, I mean, all these people in her life, her, her 
family got to see what she did for you. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a moment where they say, you know, look at what mom did. Look what my wife did. Look what my daughter did that she gave this gift to this wonderful family. And it also means more that they get to know who you are. It's not just a random family that she gave this gift to that she, you know, that they have to meet you. And they say this, this beautiful family now has another son because of what she did. And I think that it just makes it again, if if the relationship is, is solid, it makes it like you said, like that bond is so strong that you're connected in that way. And I, I, it does sound unique. And I, you're, you're still in touch with her? We we text, you know, on occasion. I'll give her some updates about Joey or, but mostly we stay in touch through social media because she'll post things and I'll post things. And it's just it's nice. We definitely keep in touch. It's amazing. So what, when did Joey ultimately come home? How many days old was he? Um, I think it was two or three days later. So she, our carrier recovered in one day from the C-section. She was released from the hospital before Joey was released. (laughs) It was really crazy. She was up and walking like the next day. I mean, she's just literally physically and emotionally and mentally the strongest person I know. But so we left two or three days later, maybe, and just drove home, which took about nine, nine or 10 hours. We made a couple stops and and then he met your kids. It was the cutest welcoming. Um, Cooper was excited, but Coco was just over. She has not. So Joey's almost one. She has not stopped kissing him since the moment we brought him home. It's amazing. And just the amount of love they, they both have for him. But Coco just expresses it in, in really such a beautiful way. What, what do they know? What do your kids know about how this all happened and sort of what is your expectation for how you explain it to them or how they're going to explain it to their friends potentially. I mean, obviously with adults, you know, like you said, you, you tell people like, Oh my God, that's awesome. And uh, you know, everyone, I know the, the response has been so positive, but you know, kids are weird, you know, <laughs> like, young kid, like, you know, their friends like what? And so is that something that you think about, you prepare them for, you're just like, we'll deal with it when they get older. How, how do you sort of think about that? The social worker that we met with through RMA gave us a list of children, friends, children's books on gestational carriers Mm. examples are like the kind koala or the kangaroo's pouch the kangaroo's pouch was just such a good one because it's such a visual for them right right? like we all have pouches right and this kangaroo's pouch didn't work but a friend's pouch worked and so the friend carried the baby for this family very simple i was reading these books to the kids for months and months before simon and i came to the decision that we were going to pursue this. Mm, Okay. And um, they, I didn't tell them my story. I just gave them the information and said, you know, families are built in different ways. And isn't that so cool that families can do these different things to become a family and how boring of a world would it be if we were all the same and everyone did the same thing and looked the same and whatever. So it was just this cool conversation that we would have, you know, quite frequently and then when we announced, you know, we came back from Ohio at the 20 week visit and we told the kids and I said, guess what, guys, we're having a baby. And Cooper was five. Yeah, he was about five. He looked at me and said, is someone having it for us? That's what he said. Someone's having the baby for us. And I said, yes. And he said, who? And then we had this whole conversation about our carrier and our family. And it was very powerful, very powerful. Wow. It's really, it's really amazing. And if, if you were, you know, if there are people out there who are considering this themselves, now that you've 
you know, gone through this whole journey and where you are now, what, what advice would you have for them in terms of like do's and don'ts, whether they're, you know, logistical things or whether they're sort of emotional things or higher level things, you know, what, what would you tell to someone if you were that, that tall woman at the wedding and, you know, someone called you and said, Hey, I'm so glad we met. I'm considering doing this. You know, what would, what would be your first list of things to sort of help them through this? I think it's something Simon told me to get us started in the process. And he said, let's take this one step at a time. And if at any point we're not comfortable with this, you know, we don't have to go through this whole thing. Let's just start, see where we're at and then take it because it's such an overwhelming process. My advice would be just take it one step at a time. Simon, what about you? I know that was your advice, but do you have any other advice? We have a, a bunch of other do's and don'ts here, so that's not the only one. Another thing that I found very helpful was reaching out to family and friends or anyone you would trust, whether that's therapist, a rabbi, any support groups. For me, I quickly realized that so many people are going through something. It, it might not be the same thing, but it might be similar. And it was very comforting to know that you know, you're not alone and just having someone to talk to felt very therapeutic and reassuring. So that was definitely another piece of advice for um, people who might want to go through this. Wow. And, and what, what, what is this big picture from the, the start of your, you know, of this journey till now, what, what have you taken away from this in terms of just life, life itself? I mean, you've said so much already that's so meaningful and, you know, deep about family, about relationships, about, you know, hope and about grief and, but is there anything sort of like big picture you look back, you're like, this experience has taught me X? I think it's taught me that babies are absolutely worth it. And whatever whatever it takes, there's no greater joy than having a baby and a family. And basically to try what every, everything, whatever is within your means. Um, try everything because there's really nothing more worth it than than family. On my end, it taught me a lot about expectations and that, you know, we have a certain expectation for things to go a certain way sometimes. And that that those expectations can really they they can cause a lot of pain and or I'm sorry, they can cause a lot of suffering because we want things to be a certain way and they're, you know, that's just not how it's, how it's going. You have to kind of work with what you're, with what you're given and work with the tools that you have. And there are so many medical tools to help us, to help somebody in our expect, in our situation that it's really keeping in mind what the goal is, what the, what you're trying to do in this world and have a family and have children. Medicine really was a humongous help. And that our expectations were just didn't need to be the way they were. And I don't want to forget to mention just the amount of kindness and selflessness that our carrier displayed just by doing this for us and um, doing it with a smile and not com never complaining even when things got hard because pregnancy is hard. Yeah. And I just it was such a big lesson to me to see that she had something to offer. And it just made me realize, like, what can I do to help someone else? Like, what do I have that can make a huge difference for someone else? And how can I be 
more giving and more compassionate toward others who who might need help. Yeah, I'm just building on that. It's just the the gratitude, the the, the chain of events, and the gratitude dominoes that fell over in each step of the process from the doctors and the nurses that helped us from the IVF part of the process all the way through and with Sanford and with uh, our carrier and her husband and the nurse, the, her doctor, the doctors in, uh, in, in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. It was just really, it was really amazing. And I, you know, we really felt that gratitude because people really cared and they were really just kind Wow, guys, this is this is amazing. I'm I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on. I think that number one, your story just on the face of it is so interesting and uplifting and wonderful. Uh, but also, I think for so many people, it's going to be helpful to know that people go through this and there are options and it can be done in a way that's, although you know, difficult and you know. Uh, sometimes you know trying that it can work out beautifully and that people you know shouldn't give up hope and should consider what this is and i think that not everyone is as open to talking about their own story as much and i think that the fact that you're willing to do this and so eloquent and so upbeat about it is amazing i mean you guys know that you know that you know Michal and I that, you know, we adore you guys. We always have even before all this happened. And, uh, and it's just, there's a reason why you're just very, you're wonderful people and you're unique. And thank God you have a, a beautiful family. You had a beautiful family and you still have a beautiful family. And we're just so happy for you that this is, you know, how your journey has, has taken you to this point. And I know my listeners are going to just fall in love with you guys. Oh, that's so sweet. It really was a pleasure. It's been always so much fun chatting with you. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome, guys. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.